Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now hey everybody this is steve i just want to let you know that for all the latest on our podcast uh hit us up at eilf movies that's everything i learned from movies on twitter facebook and instagram uh we're also on patreon if you want to check that out but our homepage is with the age of radio network at ageofradio.org slash everything i learned from movies and if you're looking for some amazing art check out my wife's etsy page at untidyvenus.etsy.com all kinds of great stuff there also follow us at podcartfest that's p-o-d-c-a-r-t-f-e-s-t for our periodic art and podcasting festival that we're going to be hosting it's uh it's actually pretty cool check it out so yeah on that note let's get to the show Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-last plot holes a gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Stephen Lucian Greaves is best known as a social activist and co-founder of The Satanic Temple, but he is also a filmmaker and a fan of bad-to-questionable movies. You can see more of him in the new documentary Hell Satan, but with this being Devil Month in the year of the character, we decided to have him on to discuss his interesting life. Ladies and gentlemen, Lucian Greaves was kind enough to join us on Everything I Learned from Movies. Hello? 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 Oh, man, I am so sorry. Oh, yeah, no problem at all. Uh, one moment, I, I, had it, I had it all locked in, and I was ready to go, and then I got on the phone, and, and then, it was, then I saw your email, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yep, no worries at all. I know it's one of those things like it pop up on a counter and be like, oh, that's right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Excellent. Well, Mr. Greaves, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm yes, here with my you. wife, Izzy. I'm not sure if you're uh, seeing us on the video or anything, but yes. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Where, where are um, you guys at? Oh, uh, we're in Eden, Utah. It's a nice little uh, ski resort town, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, where are you at? Massachusetts. Oh, are you at the uh, the the headquarters there in Salem? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Is that where you you live most of the time, or or do you just travel a lot, or? It's where I've been throughout COVID. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah same same here in uh, in our house too. But yeah, have, have yeah, you been keeping yourself entertained the lately? whole time? It's been since March that I've actually been out at all to, to any new places. Nice. Have you at least been able to keep yourself entertained? I, I don't know if you have like uh, I don't know, preferred streaming services or anything like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I work on things a lot. And as I think I mentioned the email, you know, I do weekly streaming movie nights that oh. people can come to. We have our own streaming platform for the Satanic Temple, TST TV. And, you know, uh, that's a subscription platform, but the movie nights are free and people can log in. There's like live real time chat. So oh, we nice. play the worst films and everybody talks about those because 
in a group setting like that, I think the shitty films are the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, agreed. Uh, <laughs> is there like a, a, a lineup coming up just to give us a, a sneak taste of what's what could be expected? No, I put it together kind of week by week. So, you know, I just find terrible shit. Uh, and then we, and, and it's triple features every time. But my, uh, my, one of my favorite genres is the middle-aged guy with the expendable income who writes a script and directs it and casts himself as the action hero role, making out with the aged out porn star and, and, I mean, those are the best. Yeah, yeah, we've seen a lot of Neil Breen too. (laughs) Yeah, but there's also uh, Get Even, aka Road to Revenge. You ever see that one? It's by a guy. uh, Oh shit! I I don't don't remember his name, but it was from the '90s, and he was a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, this this one has the satanic element in it too, because he ends up fighting the satanic cult, and he does this really, he, he does this really poor approximation of kung fu. Oh, can, oh yeah, those are always good. okay. He does this extended revenge. sex scene for his pleasure, not anybody else's. <laughs> I'm gonna highly recommend the podcast, The Grind Bin, right now. They're a little indie podcast, and their specialty is the sort of late '60s to uh, early '80s, just like yeah, exactly like you described. Just a middle-aged guy who has a small business funds a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Mattress King of Pasadena has 50,000 burning a hole in his pocket and is like, yeah, I can make a movie. <laughs> yeah, nice. no, that that's that's the case with Neil Neil Breen. It's like his uh his real estate business, I think, uh carries him through. And yeah. and I've been trying for a while to get him to notice me in hopes that he could cast me as a villain one day in one of his films. Oh, there you go. <gasps> Tweet you, at him. You you could you could be like the the Blofeld behind, I don't know, all the government secrets or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he he uh, alluded to a part two of Twisted Pair. You know, if you saw that one, at the end it says you're going to see these uh, these characters again, the continuing adventures or whatever, because he has a lot more to do with the new dramatic After Effects plug-in he got that allowed him to do these uh, not terribly convincing uh, flying scenes and, you know, jumping from one level to the other. Yeah. I don't know um, if you saw that movie, but you could, you knew when those scenes were coming up, you know, he'd be on something multi-level or whatever. And you're like, Oh, he's going to jump down up, you know, or up or down or whatever, depending on where he was in a dramatic fashion. Yeah. I was like, wait, is that a tiger? Why, why is there a tiger all of a sudden? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's more like it's a sudden cutout of him with like a green screen background. He's, he's sailing through the air to get to the next, uh, next location. And apparently he thought everybody would be really blown away by this because it happens a lot. <laughs> we haven't seen that one, but I am definitely picturing birdemic level graphics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, my favorite from him is Fateful Findings, though, still. Yeah. yeah, that's what yeah, real, real Academy Award type <laughs> acting. And his friend shoots himself. Or no, well, his wife or girlfriend shoots him. The wife. And she tries to make it look like he shot himself. And her <laughs> acting was such it. that she delivers those great lines. She says, he shot himself. He shot himself. I'm and then sorry. Sometimes I get pissy. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Breen is cradling his bloodied body. And says, 
I can't believe you committed suicide. It's so unlike you or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, something for like 10 full minutes. Like, I can't believe it. I just yeah. can't believe it. I can't believe you would kill yourself. I can't believe he's cutting himself off. <laughs> yeah. For some reason too, if you're in the right frame of mind and I think you might, you know, really want to have marijuana in those cases. But the, to me, the scenes that just failed to cut, some of the, the most hilarious. It's, it's just interesting that the longer they go on, the funnier they get. And there was a, a scene in Neil Breen's Double Down where he's just running crazily toward the horizon. And somewhere like five minutes in, I'm thinking, like, we're going to make it all the way, all the way to the horizon. Here. <laughs> and we do. But there was the other one. I think it was, uh, oh, shit. I think it was I Am Here Now. Where he does this, he got a drone, you know, and he thought everybody'd be blown away with this. So you're seeing a lot of it. And there was this uh, kind of spiral set up with rocks out in the middle of the desert. And he's standing in the middle and he's kind of twirling around. And this music is playing and it's panning very slowly while he does this. Then it reaches the end of the pan and the music stops. And then the music starts again and starts panning back. <laughs> Yeah, it's our, just so perfect. One of our friends just did that on their podcast and was talking about it. And it was like, so <laughs> apparently they recorded like five minutes, but the song was three minutes. So they just started it again. And, <laughs> <laughs> and didn't decide to do any less panning. It just it needed to go back and forth again. Look, when you're an auteur like Neil Breen, I mean, <laughs> who, who are we to question his methods? But, but you know, I, I, enough about enough about Neil Breen and his uh, <laughs> <Right>. his <laughs> cinema. I, uh, I just I just leapt right in, didn't I? His no. <laughs> cinematic universe. <laughs> A few films, Steve. <laughs> it's coming. It's going to be tied together in Faithful Avengers. I know, but <laughs> yeah, no, Neil Breen should be an Avenger. <laughs> well, no, he's all of the Avengers. That's why it's going to be tied together because yes. it's just all of him coming together. All of his, he plays all of his characters. <laughs> he's going to with that green screen. It's going to be technology. that Avengers pan shot around, and he's just going to be <laughs> him, like deep faked on everybody. Well, he was he was essentially Thanos in one of them. What I forgot, what was the name of it? That that one was almost uncomfortable because of all it implied. But the the whole uh, the whole premise was that he was going to he was going to destroy all the bad people. Oh. And make them disappear, or whatever. And then, and at the end, there's this glorious music playing, and you know, there's this these bad after effects that he snaps uh, his fingers. Yeah, <laughs> where he had taken an image of like a pile of five bodies and repeated it over and over again, so it looked like there was a horizon of bodies, and he's just kind of walking through the middle of the field, and this was all the death of all the bad people, and he's like this omnipotent all-powerful hero in his own mind in this film but th that was the one film i was watching where i was like all right this guy's kind of breaking down a little bit here and it's not maybe not funny anymore he he may have some issues going on that I don't <laughs> yeah. <want> to help <laughs> right well well mr greaves if you want mind tell us a little little bit about yourself like where you where you grew up kind of Kind of before founding the Satanic Temple, what, 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 where was your life going? Uh, I'm not sure. I was doing a lot of writing. You know, I was working an office job before the Satanic Temple. Really hated it. I don't think I could have carried on with that too much longer. I'm really not cut out for it. 
So, you know, if I hadn't gained some kind of public prominence in as much as I had a dislike for being in the public eye, I'm hard pressed to think of any one thing I would have felt comfortable dedicating weekly uh, work hours to, you know, (laughs) but uh, I think probably most formative in my childhood to coming to do what I do was being in the midst of the satanic panic. And it was, it's actually what the sociologists call it now, but there was a moral panic that I was aware of as a kid. I, you know, some people in other areas were more aware of this than others, but daytime talk shows were taking seriously these ideas that there was a satanic cult conspiracy and, you know, real QAnon ideas, you know, but, but being taken seriously by the mainstream press, these notions that Satanists were hiding backwards messages and heavy metal music and that Dungeons and Dragons was leading children to cannibalism and that regression therapy under hypnosis could reveal accurate memories of this plot. You know, all the while, too, people are doing past life regression and recovering memories of alien abduction, all, all in line with what their therapists had presupposed their problem was supposed to have been to begin with. Uh, but it, you know, it actually led to people being convicted on just this kind of spurious evidence and, and really decimated families and lives. So I think being a kid and seeing that and having this idea that there's satanic cults around and also coming to be disabused of the moral authority of mainstream religions that I was uh, exposed to in developing overall a more skeptical worldview, I think it all kind of culminated into what I'm doing now. That makes that makes sense. Growing up in the 1980s in Utah myself, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but, I grew up in that too in California, but like, yeah. so this is where my parents were at because my parents were like true hippies, like not like let's smoke dope and all that because to quote my father, that'll just make you fat. Um, but like kind of living off the grid and like hacked cable because you don't want the government to know what we're watching because they might think we're Satanists. That was, my dad used that as an excuse for why we had a black box instead of a regular cable. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember like in the eighties and early nineties, like all the talk shows and all, all that crazy stuff. And heck, even up into the, the 2000s and all that, like on Jerry Springer, mm-hmm. but I, you know, the, that's obviously its own little spinoff. So the guy who had never seen Mazes of Monsters till he got married. I, I didn't know Tom <laughs> Hanks was in a and d scare movie. Oh, it's on YouTube now. I, oh, I yeah, was, yeah, I've I, seen it I now. actually got on, uh, you know, posted on YouTube the other day. You never know. I mean, you just got to search again and again. Like sometimes there's stuff you never thought you'd find all of a sudden available on Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. On but Netflix. no, Utah was particularly hit by the satanic panic. Oh, so yeah. was Texas and, you know, California and even the, yeah, New England too. I don't know. There were a lot of places that were really hit, but it is funny to me to meet people who were only a little bit aware of it, you know, who are around the same age. Cause to me, it, it seemed like a real, prevalent thing a real prominent thing you know that this was really on people's minds yeah was that that in the war on drugs it was like just 
all, all the time. Satanists are going to show up, but they're going to give you drugs, and that's going to be that, and then straight to hell. And these, it's like, these are just lies. Nobody's ever offered me drugs without asking me <laughs> if I'm going to pay. <laughs> yeah, money up front, please. Yeah, yeah. That that was the notion of the villainous pusher back in the day, and I, I still love watching those educational films too, or those you know those moralizing PSAs because they're they're funny now and have that kind of camp value or whatever. I mean, if you're, if you're not infuriated, just seeing them again, but there was that bizarre notion that the pusher is going to come and really indoctrinate you into drug usage, you know, and your, your first hits were going to be free. Yeah. And then, but then it's already too late. You're hooked, you know, and then now they're asking for money and you're, you're stuck in this vicious cycle. Yeah. It's not quite the same way. Usually it's, yo, yo, that's going to run you about 20 bucks. All right. <laughs> you want to hit off this? I'm going to need you to like, Give me five bucks or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess they, there was, had to be, at some point been a choice, you know, like who are we going to demonize here? Is it going to be the, uh, the addicts or the, or the pushers, you know, and they, they went for the pushers. And I mean, at the end of the day with a lot of people selling drugs, they're just trying to make some money and, you know, and are, are entering the market where there's a demand. And I, I, I really don't see that behavior of going to schoolyards to give kids free drugs to to indoctrinate them into a drug usage that they can't walk back on in the future and now have to keep shoveling money into. Well, I mean, uh, Pfizer's got to, you know, uh, villainize anybody who can get into any markets they can't legally, right? <laughs> well, they've got their own pushers. You know, uh-huh. they, they go and give samples to the to the general practitioners and encourage them through different incentives to overprescribed bullshit. I'm sure there's a lot of that going on with the current Oxycontin litigation going on right now, but I haven't been yeah, following entirely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if it, for anybody who hasn't seen it, uh, on Netflix, watch The Pharmacist. It's a little miniseries. Oh, yeah. uh, if you don't know much about the uh, Oxycontin thing, like that really puts it in perspective. Yeah, I have not seen that. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's a little documentary about like it's what like maybe is it like three or four or is it like six episodes? I think it's like four episodes, about an hour each. It, it was like yeah. four hours total. But, but uh, it's a uh, it's basically about the pharmacist who sort of in Michigan who like blew the lid off of it like initially because his son OD'd, and basically like the cops were just like whatever he was a druggie like nobody cares and you know like as a pharmacist he's like. Wait, wait, what did he OD on? Who wrote him the prescription for this? How was he getting this? This isn't a cheap drug. Oh, oh, look what I found. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that the statistics, when they follow the baby boomers, you know, when the baby boomers were the youth, there was this idea that the youth were particularly tr- prone to drugs and that this was going to be, a, you know, a juvenile delinquent problem. And what they're finding now is that the drug problem has followed the boomers, <laughs> they're, they're still the ones addicted to drugs. Because the rest of us uh, grew up with like, oh, that guy's a moron while he's on drugs. Maybe, maybe I'll just do something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, ooh, I, yeah. Maybe we saw more bad examples. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, who are uh, who are like your your uh, I don't know your biggest influences and stuff growing up? Like, did you well, what what did you want to be? I guess when you grew up. I don't know. I always used to go to Detroit has this, this old bookstore 
And it's just piles of used books in what used to be a glove warehouse or glove manufacturing plant or something like that. Something to do with gloves, but three stories. Yeah, King's Books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would just go and look for, like, really obscure and depraved stuff, you know, books about forensic pathology or whatever else, and just, like, interesting editions of old books. The more forgotten it seemed to be, the, the, the more I was interested in it. You know, now there isn't so much of an impulse for me to, like, get forensic pathology books or whatever because there's the Internet. You can just look that stuff up. So now I see it and I'm just like, who, who wants to see this? You know, <laughs> but, the, but the appeal then was just that it seemed like you could never see that kind of thing. You know what I mean? This was part of a hidden reality that everybody was trying to keep silent. So I don't know. I, I think, I think that kind of environment had more of a profound influence on me than, <laughs> than anything else. And, and has kind of shaped my drive to, uh, be an advocate for for the freaks yeah so you've just always been on the hunt for the truth that they, they don't want you to know yeah now that takes on some ugly connotations too when you think of how often that language is used to justify some of the uh adherence to the stupidest ideas and again i, mean, I was thinking of like QAnon from, or whatever i've learned whole, anything like, from do your research and don't it's uh, something about bananas and belly fat <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's always like the truth doctors don't want you to know and then it's like a picture of a fat belly and a banana i've never clicked it but i've seen that for like the last 20 years on the internet <laughs> have you never seen that ad no you know i i'm not not to go off on a completely on completely tangential territory but i've started taking screenshots of some of the dumbest clickbait headlines and images at the end of some of these sites, you know, that just pile those things on at the end. Like you reach the end of the article and then it's just a bunch of clickbait shit. But some of the images are such bad photoshops yeah. or whatever, you know, or just, just such desperate attempts at clickbait, you know, just like you can tell they've altered the photograph to make somebody look demented or, or deformed in ways that they probably aren't or whatever, just to make it really... Like, wait, what? But yeah, curiosity that you think, damn, I, I really got to know what this is about. One of the worst I've seen recently was uh, the headline said something like some of the most dangerous bridges in the world or whatever. And the Photoshop is just so bad. It takes this like uh, image of a bridge and it turns it two dimensional and then makes it this kind of winding ri- ribbon shape. But there's cars on it. You can tell they've been flattened into two dimensional form. And, like, they just superimpose this over a, a body of water. Nothing about it looks anything near convincing. And, obviously, like, the angles and stuff would not support a bridge whatsoever. But, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like there could be just a coffee table book of really shitty clickbait. See, I'm picturing more, like, uh, you know, those, like, rope bridges from all the jungle movies and stuff <laughs> like that. That's yeah. It's like, somebody driving a Jeep across that? Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, it could be a book called like Clickbait I Never Clicked. And the thing is, it's the thing that's curious about that to me is I see that and I can think this is amazing, this image or whatever, but it still does not make me think for a moment that I actually want to click and see where it takes me. And I never have. <laughs> I <don't laughs> because I know it's gonna have nothing to do with that image. 
I will 100% support the Kickstarter for this uh, coffee table book. (laughs) (laughs) And also, yeah, like, I don't know, my spidey senses tingle whenever I see those like bad Photoshop, even before my brain like recognizes like, oh, that's shitty Photoshop. My brain's like, I just go like, nope, that's a poison link. Don't click that. You'll die. (laughs) (laughs) They say nothing dies on the internet though, but I kind of feel like people become a nerd to that idea to the point where shit's going to disappear and people are going to be like, Oh, I never care. I have no idea where to find that ever again. And they might not. Well, that's just because there nothing does die on the internet. It's been, there's just too much other stuff burying it. It's like a hoarder house at this point. You can't find anything. <laughs> like know, there was a cat here 15 years ago. I had like screen captured and there's, there's been videos on YouTube that I wish I would have captured that just disappeared. There was a conspiracy theorist for a while who was making videos talking about me and they were way over the top. I mean, they, like he would get like 50 views on these. And then I started sharing them with my friends. And then I noticed like, he's getting hundreds of viewers and he's probably thinking like that people are really into the stuff he's talking about. But I feel like most of the crowd was, you know, people I knew and things like that, just watching this guy continue his descent. And one of them was so good. He was talking about how Jehovah's Witnesses came to his door and that he knew that they were like agents of mine or whatever. And he's telling this narrative and I'm trying to put together what really happened. And I think he's kind of giving, you know, a more or less accurate presentation of this. But somehow he called them out on not being real Jehovah's Witnesses. And he said he chased them to their van and took down the uh, license plate number. And I thought, holy shit, like Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses, they probably see a lot because everybody likes to joke about how, well, when I answer the door when Jehovah's Witnesses come, I'm going to be, you know, especially especially because we have our own merchandise and everything. You know, I can't tell you how many people are saying like they're going to answer the door wearing their satanic temple t-shirt or or whatever you know people always have a plan for this so they must get fucked with all the time for them to run for them to have gotten chased to their van they must have knew they must have known this guy was not fucking around that he was the real deal and i really wish i could have seen that one happen and i really wish i had that video footage i might never see it again though he took he took his channel off of youtube i think one of his neighbors got a restraining order against him at some point and he ended up deleting all these videos and so that, those could be lost to history. Oh, no. I'll see the neighbors are who you talk to because you check their, like, you know, ring camera footage or whatever. <laughs> and, like, see him running down the sidewalk with, I don't know, pistol at his side and his underwear after the Jehovah's Witnesses. Take me to your van. Stop nope. describing your stepdad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well so. the whole genre now, especially with YouTube and everything of found footage, you know, just finding this really sometimes elaborate stuff that people have done and you just wonder why they're doing it. You know, there's like views in the tens or whatever, and they carry on doing it. Uh, there's some guy who does like a, a semi comical sci-fi show on YouTube. And somebody was showing me the videos the other day and like, there's 43 views on them. And I was wondering why does he astro space hero or something like that? I think it's called, I don't know. You have to check it out. I know as soon as I mention this and people are able to find it, it, just, it ruins it, but <laughs> <laughs> it goes from 40 views or to makes 40, it. Yeah. It makes it what it is. So. 
<laughs> I don't know. People are passionate. People make stuff. I mean, yeah. like I, I technically own my own small business and I get about 40 views and I yeah. keep making stuff. <laughs> I mean, we have dozens of loyal listeners on our podcast, so <laughs> I understand that a little bit. No, yeah, but you're not necessarily putting on like costumes and like doing, I don't know. Doing I don't know we're not, we're, we're very camera shy. <laughs> we're, we're all to the theater of the mind here you know, <laughs> you know well, fan, fan movies too i mean i think there's oh, something yeah. different going on in people's minds and wanting to reach a huge audience i think it's more about wanting to be in the film you know just wanting to to create this thing i've got no problem with that i mean what's a what's a neil breen movie other than a very passionate fan movie yeah Written, directed, starring, catered by all the same person. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, same with like Tommy Wiseau and all of that. And it's Orson Welles. Like, are they like? <laughs> would they like? Did, would they still make the movies for that? Like, if they hadn't gotten some success, I like to think yes, because because it's about the project, You're not about the views, but getting the idea out there. That's right. Well, have you ever seen a film called Ben and Arthur? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, no, we haven't seen oh, that. No, that, that's the one Brendan always wants us that's to That's the one watch. Brendan. Yeah, oh. We haven't seen it yet. What was the one about the two guys in the desert then that we watched? Oh. Oh, Ruben. The one, the one with Crispin Glover. Yeah, Ruben yeah. and Ned or something. Oh, okay. Like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I apologize. Yeah, we, we've heard of Ben and Arthur, but we haven't <laughs> seen it. Yeah, no, the, these are some of the films that make me glad to be alive in this time. And another <laughs> one, it's really difficult to get uh, called Surfer Teen Confronts Fear. And you can find the uh, you can find the trailer on YouTube, and I do have a copy of this film. But I, I just a friend of mine was able to get it for me. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't even say how. <laughs> this, this movie is is just absolutely phenomenal. It's uh, it's really just this kind of philosophical. Uh, tirade by a man who does this film with his kid and talks about the nature of fear and the kid's fear of getting back on the surfboard after nearly dying in a, in a surfing accident, uh, maybe a year previous or something like that. And so the movie starts out, the kid's at the, is fishing in the ocean and this guy crawls out of the ocean and announces that he's uh, constructed out of squid and electricity and only has a limited amount of time to discuss the nature of fear with him. And then for half of the entire movie, he's philosophizing about fear while intermittently shaking the kid and yelling things like, are you listening to me, boy? <laughs> things like that. It's just, it's a real personal vision and one that you know wasn't put to the consensus of some kind of some kind of focus group or whatever it really yeah. has that sense of authenticity to it where this guy did not really care i think about what the perceptions of the audience was yeah there, there's no group think involved no other voices coming in yeah yeah and like the final 10 minutes of this film are like still images of the kids surfing sometimes overlaid with images of the american flag and things like that while music is playing. <laughs> and, and that's one of those things where it's like, if you can laugh harder and harder 
while watching Neil Breen run longer and longer towards the horizon, you're going to love a movie like this. Yeah, let's check that one out. Uh, I was I was just thinking about you said earlier you'd love to be a, a villain in a Neil Breen movie. I think uh, if you reach out to uh, Brendan Steer, director of Velocipaster, oh, uh, we actually interviewed him on this year podcast, and uh, he is wildly enthusiastic. And I feel like uh, you guys would really really hit it off <laughs> if you really want to be a villain in a movie. Yeah, no, I I, I, got, I have to talk to this guy and. Uh, I wrote myself a porn parody script for the for Michelle Remembers, and Michelle Remembers was a book that came out in 1980, which is kind of credited with kicking off the Satanic Panic, and it was the story of the recovered memory history of a patient they referred to as Michelle Smith, as recalled to her psychiatrist Lawrence Pazder under hypnosis Mm. and this story was taken seriously as though these things actually happened even though she talks about being abused personally by satan himself and saint michael coming and and intervening and things like that and pastor and smith were on shows like oprah talking about it was just weird nobody read the fucking book like (laughs) clearly they they all presented it as though this were the book about this rare multiple personality disorder and you know a rare and real condition or anything nobody nobody really questioned the supernatural premise of the book (laughs) but you know i was thinking about these sessions that they must have been having where she's talking about these depraved acts of abuse that were carried out against her and then thinking that in the context of the fact that Smith and Pazder got married at some point afterwards. And I thought those might've been some really kinky sessions, right? So with Michelle remembers the porn parody version, I was trying to imagine what really happened in the doctor's office during all this, you know, so it has the gaps in the story. Yeah. So we have like these dreamlike scenarios of, of like supernatural demonic orgies and stuff like that. But we also have, you know, just the sexual tension between the therapist and the and the client as well. So we couldn't film that during COVID, but we did a live ta- we did a table reading that we recorded over Zoom, and we had to get that to people to come see at our, at our virtual headquarters. <laughs> you know, come uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow we're showing. Oh, right. so so what I'm hearing is you just need an animation team. No, <laughs> could be. There's puppets. <laughs> puppets in this, after all. I had this great. Oh, there we go. <laughs> we have this little puppet that can fit over somebody's crotch. So you know, so you have a real wang where the puppet's wang would be, and the rest <laughs> of the person controlling the puppet is going to be in a black suit. You know, a black bodysuit with a black background. So you just have like this flying little demon puppet with a real life wang. Yes. Just entering into somebody who's bent over i'm in (laughs) wait what (laughs) (laughs) we can't fly out to massachusetts (laughs) (laughs) i don't think my wing's big enough anyway (laughs) (laughs) all right so the satanic temple 
T- tell us about it because people may have a vim- image in their head. You know, everybody knows about like you know the Church of Satan with uh, Anton Lavey and you know all the Satanic Panic stuff. But what what is the Satanic Temple and h- how does it differ and what like what's it, what is its mission? <laughs> well, there's a real philosophical disconnect between the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. Uh, Leveyanism was described by Lavey himself as Ayn Rand with ceremonial trappings and it really has kind of a right-wing libertarian vibe and they really do seem to venerate authoritarianism and advocate for police state politics and that type of thing which to us is really antithetical to the idea of the ultimate rebel against tyranny in the miltonic sense from like uh paradise lost and we do view Satan as a literary construct, but as a real powerful metaphorical icon for the struggle against tyranny and the pursuit of knowledge and individual autonomy. So this kind of mythic backdrop kind of contextualizes our community and our lives. And to us, that's religion. And, you know, to the courts, it is too. Federal judge upheld that we are a religion. The IRS gave us our tax exempt status as a as a church. And, uh, you know, these are things church of Satan also doesn't have, <laughs> I must add, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, and, and we're, and we're active, you know, they, they really, they really haven't been active since oh, the seventies, you know, they they have a presence online now, but they're certainly never active in the type of types of things we're doing, you know, pushing back into theocrats and stuff like that. And, we've really grown really fast. It's only been eight years. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think people more intuitively understand the value of non-theistic Satanism is contrasted against the rising Christian nationalism we see now. And I've often said that when people look back and talk about the Satanic temple and the rise of a new Satanic era, they're going to have to at least partially thank people like Mike Pence for that. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we, uh, we watched the, uh, the documentary, of course, uh, hell Satan, uh, which can be found. I think we saw it on Hulu, but it, it's out there. Definitely check it out. It's a very interesting look at uh, obviously the satanic temple, but also the, the circumstances from which it arose and how they've grown and everything. I was actually surprised to find out there's a branch in Salt Lake City, Utah, and <laughs> I haven't, you know, been down there to say hi or anything like that yet. But it was like, oh, well, yeah, for one. <laughs> but it was like, huh, this must be spreading fast if there's a a, a branch out here. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when we uh, affirm a chapter's official status, it's kind of traditional that I get in on the call and uh, really kind of take it in a weird direction and just see how far I can push it before they, before they kind of push back, like make these claims that there's some kind of ridiculous demands as the final step. And I think with Utah, I I made up some bizarre story about how, uh, about, uh, I don't remember, but it all came down to, we were all going to have to um, do whatever it took in solidarity to make sure that we uh, could all lactate. And they were for it, you know. And, no. then I, and I, I revealed the fact that this wasn't 
wasn't absolutely a <laughs> and they're like already like looking at it like oh oh uh yeah okay uh, can't cancel yeah, that order for mexican yeah. hormones <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't need any of that now uh, yeah no well, we were supposed to be lactating in solidarity with with somebody <laughs> <laughs> the teachers union <laughs> yes. i don't know I can see it. I can see it. Well, I mean, I, I, I like a mild I, hazing process, you know. Yeah, yeah. You also want it's probably a good way to check to me, like, and like, oh yeah, we're gonna you know blow up a building and stuff. And if they're like, yeah, yeah, let's totally do that, and it's like, okay, maybe. maybe yeah, what's the matter with you? <laughs> put that one to the side, and uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, Steve, you grew up here in Utah. Mm. How do you think Utahns uh, feel about the Church of Satan? I mean. <laughs> look, <laughs> look, raised Mormon and Catholic, and basically by the time I was 10, I decided football was more important for my <laughs> Sunday. So I, there's there there's stories out there, and you know, there's there's morals to the stories. You, you know, mm-hmm. some of them are a little crazy, but some of them take it literally, and that's I I guess their choice. It's just not a scientific scientific approach. I did a speaking event in Utah once where mm-hmm. I was presenting at one of the colleges or universities. I don't remember which one, but they, they reserved a pretty big forum for it. And there was a, there was definitely a turnout, which indicates something about Utah. You know, like I really get a a big turnout or have gotten a big turnout more so in places that are considered the Bible belt or otherwise have a, a strong religious presence that, uh, significant population in the area considers oppressive or overly encroaching or whatever. But after I spoke, a lot of people wanted to speak with me and tell me their stories. And uh, a lot of people were significantly challenged by their Mormon upbringing. And I was kind of amazed that there was a guy who came up to me. He had just gotten back from doing missions, which I guess they all have to do. Mm-hmm. Yep, 19 year old going out for two years and uh, spreading the word yeah yeah and he said that during this time when he was on the missions he was watching youtube videos of my lectures and converting to satanism and that just kind of blew my mind because it just kind of feels like there should be more intermediary steps <laughs> <laughs> being out of the being out on the missions and going directly to satanism you kind of feel like maybe you're watching stuff about agnosticism first or start learning about evolutionary biology or something that, that, you know, kind of pushes you to see the shaky foundation of the, the philosophy you've been steeped in. Well, you know, some people like to go straight from the hot tub into the snow. (laughs) Yeah, no, this apparently was one of those guys and I, I, more power to him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see, like, especially, like, uh, college towns and stuff around here and, like, in the Bible Belt and stuff where, you know, it's people from all over the country coming together and kind of seeing it and like, oh, yeah, let's go check out this speaker and, you know, get a new perspective on something. I, I can see where that'd be a, a big a big draw. <laughs> well, I can say for being, like, a newbie to Utah, um, Utah is definitely, like, very different than it used to be. Like, oh, yeah. we got, like the third largest pride parade in the nation now. And um, I mean, like I've been able to meet plenty of people who aren't like 
hardcore lockdown conservatives and like the last election it was only 55 percent red which threw a bunch of the uh republicans into huge tizzies <laughs> yeah didn't uh even the lbs church walk back on its anti-gayness or am i totally wrong about that oh, no they well so they they had made a uh from what i understand it was right when we moved here they'd made another pro- proclamation about like hey send your kids to our camps and make them not gay and like 25,000 uh, uh, Mormons turned in their Mormon card, like denounced the religion. So they stepped back on it officially. But like uh, right now they're in trouble for um, chemically like sedating teenagers in their youth camps who proved to be too uh, volatile for the program. That's illegal. That sounds like public school to me. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess I, I, I didn't read all the articles because I was getting really depressed. But like this week, it's like been a big thing that like school and church administrators are have been handing out uh, sedatives that are not recommended for teenagers. <laughs> Oxycontin, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It was all down in Provo and I was just like, hmm, over 100 miles away. I'm going to stay in. I'm going to stay, keep not leaving my house and maybe not having children for a while. <laughs> Do you feel the Mormon presence in your daily lives? No. No. Okay. No, no but we're also in our homes. So <laughs> I feel, I, being a California girl who just moved here like a year and a half ago, I feel the Mormon presence when I go to the grocery store and I can't buy a goddamn beer over 4%. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised at how, how many Puritan laws have carried over in Massachusetts and it's, you know, one of the most liberal states in the in the U.S. You know, we we only get Republican governors because the Democrats over here are so stupid. They'll run the most corrupt and deplorable, disgusting people they could possibly run over here. It's like they want to lose. And they last time for governor, they ran this asshole by the name of Martha Coakley. And she was just famous as a prosecutor for trying to block the testing of DNA evidence. She was famous during the satanic panic of trying to keep uh, an innocent person who was in prison for 18 years in prison even longer because there was no new exculpatory evidence uh, to push back against the non-evidence that was presented against him to begin with. Mm. And, you know, I mean, people always ask, how do you have a Republican governor over here? And it's just, that's the reason. Like, we're still a a very liberal state, and there's no way we would be having Republican governors over here if it weren't for the stupidity of the state Democrats in Massachusetts. I believe that. Again, coming from California. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any, like... Like what? What? What is the the future hold for the Satanic Temple? Like, are there any uh, dream projects or anything like that? I know you guys have like the uh, after school programs and stuff like that that you've done, and uh, like the Protect Children project. Uh, where 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 do you see the Satanic Temple going in the future? Uh, we keep expanding and we keep growing, and as more time goes on, more people understand more clearly what we're about. And people understand more clearly whether it's for them or whether it's not. And we're still in that phase, you know, which hasn't really let up from the beginning of, you know, explosive growth. And, you know, it's hard to know exactly where that will level off. But 
naturally, you know, people's perceptions of Satanism are going to change just from having exposure to the Satanic Temple eventually, too. And, you know, we're going to lose that ability to be quick clickbait every time we put out a press release, but that's all for the better, too. And at some point, Satanism is just going to be uh, another religion that people will see on the menu to learn about in the whole in the whole world religions category. And I think, you know, a lot of what we do is going to be determined as to by kind of the political atmosphere. We, we find it our duty to push back against theocratic encroachments and arbitrary authority. But, you know, we'll still be here if there aren't those fights to be fought because we're building a really robust community that relies on each other and, and really, uh, you know, feels their place amongst one another. And so I think we've developed something that's really solid that will be a really long-term presence. And for me personally, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to make this sustainable enough that I can feel comfortable not having any part of it, you know, and by that, I, I don't mean I, I, I like want to abandon the project and the people around it, but you know, if, if I were hit by a bus tomorrow or whatever, just be able to bleed out knowing that uh, the satanic temple will be fine I, I could and having processes in place where we know that things will be deliberated upon appropriately. And there's always going to be these debates uh, you know, the structure of the satanic temple is kind of a microcosm of the American experiment. You know, there's always this uh, conflict between the limits of state rights and federalism. And we kind of always go through that by having national management over regional chapters and striving to give them the maximum autonomy, but not to the point where there's no regulation against them doing things that could be damaging to the organization as a whole and damage the, uh, damage the reputation of the rest of us in the other chapters around the world. So these are always things, you know, that, that'll always be the struggle. But once people re- recognize that and realize that if they have a disagreement that they don't need to burn the whole house down and, you know, and say that they're out, uh, then I think we'll be at a good place. So far, we still get those people, you know, storming out angrily. But, <laughs> but, I, but I think, although you know, I think as time goes on, as these things happen more and more, people recognize that these things have happened, and that this is part of having, you know, an organization that takes democratic deliberation seriously. That makes sense. And and if people wanted to find out more about the Satanic Temple, where would be the the best place for them to go? Our website, thesatanictemple.com. It's all there. Nice. Yeah, you have all the, uh, the all the tenants, all the local branches that may be in your neighborhood, all, all the, the videos and whatnot. Yeah. We, we checked out the other day and was like, huh, <laughs> this is uh, intriguing. Yeah, and you can sign up for the newsletter there. And we're always putting out newsletters that talk about updates on some of our legal cases or any other major activities that we're doing. And I don't know. I... We, I feel we have a very welcoming community and we're also very open to the passive observers too when we have events or whatever. It's not one of those things where 
people are demanding your fealty to Satanism. And that's a, that's something that's much different from other religions, I think, and religious organizations is that we are uh, fully aware of and accepting of the fact that it's just not for some people, you know, and that's okay. You know, some people just witness and the iconography of it and the, all of it is just, it's just not something that's going to appeal to them. And it's not something we want to conform people to. Well, and I'd recommend anybody out there to watch the, the hail Satan uh, documentary and it'll give you a little better understanding of what, like what the, what the temple is doing. And uh, how was that experience like being, being a part of like, you know, having the documentary crew and everything around, what, what was that like? It's terrifying. Uh, a lot of this stuff has been terrifying. You, you might not know. I think it might be on YouTube now, but Lisa Ling, prior to uh, uh, the Hail Satan documentary, did a 45-minute piece about us for CNN. Uh, she had her show, This Is Life, or whatever. Lisa oh, yeah, yeah. That was like my first experience with the high-profile kind of documentary piece that would come out. And... The, the horrifying part about doing something like that is you you don't see that until they're done with it. I, I didn't have any say over what material was going to be used or what wasn't or whatever. And they, they follow you around so much that naturally, you know, you feel like you might have fucked up or something or, you know, you stub your toe and swear or whatever or or whatever. And you think like, ah. You know, how can they put this together to make me look like a real piece of shit or whatever? You know, if somebody has bad intentions, you know, if they get enough, you know, they can certainly turn it into something. But I just remember the Lisa Ling piece was going to air. I hadn't seen I hadn't seen a second of the footage. You know, I hadn't seen any of the footage itself. I just knew what they were there filming, you know, and and they filmed a lot of it. You know, it's uh, the digital age now. Nobody cares about like limits on footage or the, yeah. the you know or the expenses yeah, yeah, of process. a thousand hours as opposed to you know however many feet of film yeah right the they, they, yeah. They're, they're just looking at the memory chips they have or whatever and they're stocked you know they're filming all fucking day and you've got a live mic on you or whatever and i just remember i was picking up some alcohol and snacks or whatever because people were going to come over and we were going to watch this lisa ling thing and i was walking home and I just had to stop because I was sudden wave of panic hit me and, and I almost dropped my stuff. And I was just standing on the sidewalk thinking like, what was I thinking? What the fuck is wrong with? There is no way that CNN is going to allow a show like this to even give us a fair hearing. You know, like this is going to be a disaster. This is going to destroy us. This is going to tear us apart. And when I first saw it, I didn't even really see it. I was just taking it scene by scene, waiting for the other shoe to drop. So I was just seeing these scenes and just setting them aside as they would pass. And I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Don't object. You know, next scene. All right. Yeah, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it was. It's what I said. Okay. Next or whatever. And by next thing I know, you know, I'm, I'm miserably drunk. The uh, credits are rolling and I'm like, Hey, that okay? That worked out, I think. You know, and I, and it, I made it. <laughs> so I could watch it like months later that I had some sense of what the piece actually was. But when I first saw Hail Satan, I didn't see it when it was just airing for the first time. I actually watched it with the director and the producer in the producer's apartment, 
And making it worse was that I could tell they were terrified, you know, and I thought, so what am I going to see here? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I I don't really know what I thought. I thought it was accurate. That was all I could really, that was all I could really say for it. But I'm just too close to it that I couldn't have any sense of what other people would see when watching it. To be honest, like I, I fully recognize the competence of Penny Lane, the director. And I thought it was masterful the way she tied so many things into such a tightly woven narrative in only like an hour and 20 some minutes or whatever. And if you watch it, it's pretty hard to take out any scene without the whole thing unraveling. And I feel like that's a really a testimony to great work. And she did it without adding her own voiceover narration either, which I thought was a very difficult thing to do. I think the obvious thing to do, the easy thing to do was for her to start out the film. And I bet, you know, a million uh, directors would have done this. And, And Penny Lane was the one who didn't where it would start out with like the director's narration of what they thought of the satanic temple when they saw these, you know, seeming pranks and stuff like that on the news and in the media, and then learning there was something else about it entirely. And then going off and like, their personal journey into learning about what the Satanic Temple was. And I thought it was brilliant that she didn't do any of that. But just the same, I had no idea what people would make of this film when seeing it. So I felt like I didn't really see it for the first time until the first time it aired at Sundance, you know, and there was a theater of like 700 some people or something like that. It was a big theater, you know, and they, they played it and it was just, uh, you know, I needed to hear what people applauded for and what people laughed at and things like that, I think, before before I could even understand what the film was to people. So then I'm feeling pretty good about it. And then they do the Q&A, you know, and they call me up to the front. It's a standing ovation and all that kind of thing. Never experienced something like that before. And then they open it up to questions from the audience. And some older lady up front raises her hand. They call on her. And she says... So, uh, what's with your eye? (laughs) And I have a, I have a scarred right eye. And I was just thinking like, you just watch this whole film. That's all you do. That's your fucking question. (laughs) Fucking film. That was the question you have. So I guess I still don't really know what people see when they see that film, but some of them just see a scarred eye. Other of them see, I guess, more of the issues presented and the, and the various nuances explored. <laughs> well, well, we saw a little more nuance and stuff too. And yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty, very, a very interest, completely different from what we kind of thought going in. Like we had heard it was a really good documentary and mm-hmm. all that, but I was like, oh, gee, maybe, maybe look a little further into this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like we we had seen. Uh, I don't remember what, but a couple of years ago, we had seen something about the satanic church and we were like, oh, these are, they seem to be good guys. And I, I used to work with a guy who was a member of the satanic church and actually has hail Satan tattooed on his knuckles. Tony. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like one of the kindest, gentlest human beings I know. Um, and so I was like, okay. And then, yeah, we saw the documentary was recommended by uh, La Carmina, the, the blogger. And was like, all right, let's, uh, let's check this out. But yeah, really you know no preconceived notions we didn't really watch the trailer or anything just let's jump in and you know jump in and see how the water is 
And, La Carmina uh, is great. And La Carmina actually has a sh- show of her own coming up for our streaming platform, TST TV. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad. So you might want to check that out. And if, if people are interested in the movie nights, people interested in the movie nights should check out, uh, should look at my Twitter for that. Cause I, I post the link weekly it's Wednesday nights now, but I'm just at Lucian Greaves. So but anybody can come and talk shit about movies and nobody's nobody's talking politics or religion or anything like that. And that's what makes it so much better than like social media interactions or whatever. We we have something we're there to do and it's just fun, you know. Nobody's getting into arguments, whatever. It's just kind of place where you can talk shit about bad <laughs> films and that's what it is. Yeah, let's talk shit and have fun. I, I, I think that. we're going to start being regulars. We yeah, yeah. we we do a, a couple of uh, patrons with some small podcasts that do movie nights, you know, once a week or once every other weekend. It's like, especially with like lockdown and we're already like in a fairly isolated area. Our town's only like 600 people. Uh, it's, it's a really nice way to, yeah, to just talk shit and like feel like you're part of a community. So Expect well, some of this shit friend? I would never watch too. So this could be like a work thing for you. You know, oh, yeah. you, you could really be double dipping there because you get to have the fun of watching it with people. But, you know, sometimes you watch if you watch some of this stuff alone, it's just it's just too boring. You need somebody else to be there, like looking at how poorly done it is and saying, like, look at this shit. You know, you have to be cracking jokes about it for it to be fun. Otherwise, it can possibly just be annoying. How dare you? Talk I, I could about never watch Surfer way. Team Confronts Fear alone. But it's the most beautiful thing to watch with other people who are dying because, you know, of these bizarre extended scenes that are going nowhere. And this guy philosophizing about the nature of fear. (laughs) Again, how dare you talk about baby ghosts that way? (laughs) I also really like the ones that you think understand their humor value and don't. Like, uh, I think I mentioned an email to you. No, maybe I didn't. But the, the topic came up recently, and maybe it just came up in movie night last night. But there was this bed called er, bed. There was this uh, there was this film called Deathbed. Yes, yes. The, the bed that eats. The bed that eats. Yeah, and, yeah. and we, we watched that one movie night, and I thought, all right, they have to be aware of how ridiculous it is. It's making chomping sounds too. Yeah, no, <laughs> or whatever. But then it goes, it gets really pretentious. You know, like they really thought they were making a work of art with this. And they really thought there was some commentary behind it, too. And I, I didn't know whether to be, I, I honestly still to this day don't know whether to be annoyed or, uh, you know, exhilarated by that. Yeah, I, I, I try to think of it as like a like like a seventh grade art teacher trying to be Fellini and making a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just a lot of like towards the end, it's like, wait, what is going on? Why are we staring at the flower? Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah I understand what that that movie especially it's like it was rough and then it's like oh it's only like an hour and twelve minutes and it feels like forever. <laughs> yeah, it was like a week after I watched that too. None other than John Waters asked me if I had ever seen that film. <laughs> he even he seemed a little mystified by it, or or like this was <laughs> this one was a, a real find. All right, I gotta ask because. Uh... It's it, it's just one of the movies that's completely boggles my mind, and uh, people listen to this podcast know what movie I'm about to ask. Have you seen Mistress of the Apes? 
Mistress of the Apes? Mm-hmm. No, but I'll, I'll probably play it this next time around if it's getting... I, I can tell by the way you're nodding your heads that this is this is definitely something that will resonate with the the movie night audience. Yeah, we I I may Ooh. or may not have a link to send you in a in a few minutes, but it's um it's yeah crazy. we we randomly we were looking up ape movies for our podcast. We decided to do ape rill, uh, all ape movies, and you know after watching all the Planet of the Apes and all like all the old like sequels and all that, which my lovely husband had missed out on. That's right. It popped up like on Net- or uh, on Amazon. Like, do you want to watch *Mistress of the Apes*? And we watched this movie, and there were several scenes where we had to stop and rewind to make sure we hadn't missed something. The music is popping, but the soundtrack's it is, amazing. Does not match that movie though. Yeah, it's from the '70s, so it's like yeah. funky and a little rock. And, yeah, it's yeah. Um, a good soundtrack for another movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's definitely about this movie, but it. Just tonally, I don't know. Yeah, oh, um, the tone changes on a dime. And then, like, as soon as we did an episode on it, Amazon, like, wiped it from, yeah. from the universe. It wasn't on YouTube. It wasn't on Netflix. Even the, like, disc delivery where you can get a lot of strange stuff still yeah. that they don't want to admit they really have. Uh, we have recently, like, we, we'll we'll share with you a, a way to, <laughs> to get it. Um, but... Oh, that man! If you like bad movies, that that's one where I still don't know if I understand it. <laughs> well, I, I I already can't thank you enough. One of, one of our favorite eight movies from the movie nights that we have watched. There was one, I think it was from the seventies, and it was just called Ape, but as though it were an acronym, and I don't know what for A P E, but it was uh, a terrible gorilla costume, you know, terrible miniature sets, and. Uh, Really low budget, but it was one of those where it was really hard to know what they were trying to make this film be. Because some moments it seemed like they were trying to be comical. Like there, there's a there's a moment where the uh, ape is doing the old, you know, climbing uh, climbing a mountain. I think with the woman in the hand or whatever, you know, or climbing the building, whatever. There's that that classic King Kong type scene, and then. Uh, swats an airplane out of the air and then gives the middle finger which was really, <laughs> really perplexing but it, even though that happens it's still not clear that they were trying to make something comical or that somebody didn't come in after the fact and get panicked and say all right we're gonna have to try to market this as something comical so we have to throw in some bullshit like this i don't know i don't know how that kind of thing happens sometimes I'm actually just wondering, was that around the time Coco the Gorilla was thing with the sign language and that was their uh, their nod to it? I don't know. Could be. I, I, I don't know if that much thought went into it, but it <laughs> that would have been pretty highbrow for this film. <laughs> Real world references. More than likely it's just like, wouldn't it be cool if King Kong flipped somebody the bird? Yeah. But the old King Kong versus Godzilla was a pretty good one too for, you know, B-movies. Yeah. Oh, so I'm assuming you're excited for uh, the March release? No. What? No. <laughs> the, the, the trailer doesn't look good. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> no, I haven't even seen the trailer. There's there's a lot of reboots for films I I haven't seen just out of out of respect for the old ones, just knowing that they were gonna they were gonna screw it entirely. I was mad way back when they were making a Nicolas Cage version of the Wicker Man. Like, <gasps> you don't have to fuck with that. You don't have to. Hey. Do- so you haven't seen the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man? No. No, I haven't. Look, okay, oh. it's 
it's oh. it's <laughs> like we we love it because we love Nicolas Cage. Yeah, we named our cats yeah. after Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, we have Cameron and Poe <laughs> running around here somewhere. And, yeah, but uh, it, it's 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 not the Wicker Man, no. you know, the nineteen seventy four original or whatever. But it's a different kind of off putting weirdness that just kind of makes it its own a little bit. Um, but there are parts where you'll definitely be like, I, I don't know what this was supposed to be. And I assume there's like stuff on the chopping room floor, but I, I would recommend giving it a gander. Absolutely. Like, so like the main character, instead of him being like the pious one who gets sacrificed, it's sort of like, well, what if he deserved to be sacrificed? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I never saw the, the reboot of RoboCop either. And as a no. kid, I thought RoboCop was like the coolest movie Okay. And, like, to this day, you know, that, like, I don't know. There's something so 80s about it, but there's something so perfectly, it's so perfectly done and so well-paced, you know, that it, RoboCop is, like, one of those perfect movies for its time. Oh, absolutely. And then when I saw trailers and, uh, you know, it, it always annoyed me, that whole thing where it's, like, somebody gets turned into a superhero and then cries about, you know, their their former life being gone or whatever. And like yeah. seeing RoboCop, seeing having none of the problems of like the actual RoboCop who had was a tragic character, you know, actually living this robot life and, and looked like this kind of uh, Frankenstein's monster when he took off his mask. You know, now you just have a guy who was saved from fucking death, you know, and is turned into a superhero and apparently gets to keep his family and he's crying to his wife what have they done to me or whatever? And it's like, Oh fuck off. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Oh, off. you could be worm food. Some people die. They're fucking dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. who, who can relate to this shit? So anyways, I, I didn't even see that fucking movie. Yeah. Don't the, the only redeeming quality it had to, at all is that more people are now aware of a uh, hocus pocus by focus. Cause they use it absolutely randomly over a fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the song Hocus Pocus by Focus. Google it, kids. It's amazing. Do you like rock and roll and yodeling? (laughs) (laughs) I I like rock and roll and yodeling. Are you aware of Hocus Pocus by Focus? No, I've got to check this out. I've got to be one of the Googling kids. 70s rock ballad. It it kind of sounds Gary Glitterish to me. Better than that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> and and you definitely a better uh, history behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, Joker movie even got uh, people angry over using Gary Glitter. And in case people don't know, he was uh, convicted of being a pedophile, I believe. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, the Joker movie. Uh, anyway, <laughs> somehow Bloodshot was better. All right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, uh, well, Mr. Grieve, thank you so much for joining us here thank on you. Everything I Learned from Movies. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure. We'd love to have you back on for like a regular episode if there's a Absolutely. particular movie you'd like to talk about and all that. I don't know. It holds a special place in your heart. But, yeah, um, absolutely. Or you can do a... You can do a stint of movie nights and we can do kind of a breakdown and decompression from that because, you know, believe me, it's, a, it's always a roller coaster. It's a wild ride. Oh, yeah. We go through a lot of emotions when we watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll definitely be. And, and, and again, uh, the best place for that is to uh, follow you on Twitter at Lucian Greaves. That's L-U-C-I-E-N-G-R-E-A-V-E-S. 
Perfect. All right. Excellent. Damn it, I have to double check. I have some notes here. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, the satanictemple.com for, uh, you know, getting on the newsletter at least, you know, with the satanic temple and just learning more about it. And mm-hmm. um, I guess before you go, could, could I ask a favor? Go ahead. Anything. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> would, would you mind giving us a little bump of like, hi, this is Lucian Greaves, you know, director of Satanic Temple or whatever your title is. And you're listening to everything I learned from movies. I'm Lucian Greaves of the Satanic Temple. And you're listening to everything I learned from movies. Perfect. Thank you. And you forgot the most important part, babe. What's that? The oh. name of our podcast is everything I learned from movies. Watching all these terrible, bad movies, what is something that uh, you've taken to heart that you learned from bad movies? What I've learned from bad movies is that nothing should stop you from pursuing your artistic vision. Because even failure can be a success. Exactly. Excellent. I I think that's the title of Neil Breen's biography when he releases it. Is that the one that he throws in Fateful Findings? No more books? I think so. No more books. (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly with with his five laptops that are turned off well you know those those are probably props from uh real estate viewings oh probably i didn't even think about that yeah Yeah, they probably sit on little prop desks and model houses and there you go there's there's some insight (laughs) yeah it it definitely saves on uh finding locations for a movie i'm sure (laughs) right Excellent. Well, well, thank you, Mr. Greaves. Oh, and thank yeah, we you so much. And, uh, and we'll send you that link for Mistress of the Apes. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> thank hey, you so much. One. Thanks for giving us your time. I know it's getting late. Yeah, be safe out there. Good night.